0: Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Family Sanctuary, a show that inspires living the gospel message in word and deed within our families. And now, Family Sanctuary with host Peggy Hartshorn.
1: Welcome to our program, Family Sanctuary, focusing on life-giving relationships and the family. I'm your host, Peggy Hartshorn, chairman of Heartbeat International that advances life-affirming pregnancy help around the world. And today, um, would you like to know more about the kind of beautiful hope and healing that's available after divorce? Well, so many families have been touched by divorce, so many people, and maybe some of you listening today, or members of your family and and circle of friends, people in your parish. And it's absolutely devastating. Um, And I have a dear friend, Debbie Nieport, who has uh, offered to be on our program today and share such a beautiful story of how God Opened the doors to her in some beautiful, beautiful ways for hope and healing. Uh, it's just an out, uh, an outstanding, a- an amazing story of God's faithfulness and how He worked through so many different avenues and people to bring hope to Debbie, who was who was actually at a, a suicidal point. Um, as a result of the of this hurt from the divorce. So she's got a beautiful story. Debbie, uh, I want to thank you for, for being with us today. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Peggy. I <laughs> appreciate uh, your invitation to be here.
1: <laughs> and you know, uh, Debbie and I, I, I think I mentioned we have worked together in the pro-life arena for many years in pregnancy help, uh, helping girls and women who who are Often on the way toward an abortion. And, and such a, a decision may be totally outside their value system, but they are suffering so much at that point. They are devastated, sometimes a, a sense of loss, uh betrayal. Um and, and Debbie, one of the amazing things you said to me was that uh your Ability to reach out in love and understanding to women who, who may be on the verge of making that kind of, of a decision has been influenced by your own experience. Absolutely. You know what it's like to feel that awful uh, abandonment and fear and sense of betrayal and even questioning of God. Of course, yes. so so you've got such a beautiful story. I just want to give you the opportunity to share it, uh, as as I've heard you share your story in the past. So, Debbie, your story of 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 this hurt that this deep hurt you experienced. When did that begin? Well, 1997
0: was a life changing, life altering year for me. In January, my husband at the time uh, met somebody, and Through the beginning of that year, I suspected a relationship that was not appropriate, and I questioned this, but I was reassured. Uh, In June, he announced that he no longer wanted our marriage, that, uh, in fact, this was like five days before we were to celebrate our 22nd anniversary, Mm. that uh, he simply wanted out, and he was very definitive and very absolute about this. And as I went through the emotions of this, almost feeling like I was in a cloud, uh, outer body almost, um, I began to question things. Uh, I almost immediately began to feel an overwhelming sense of uh, loss and abandonment, uh, began to feel that the only way out of this was to end my life. But I, my faith was so Uh, in front of me at that time that I knew that that wasn't a solution. I did go to stay with my parents in Colorado for about a week to try to be in what I termed a safe place Mm -hmm. only to learn that, uh, he had already contacted a lawyer. And during that time in Colorado, I spoke to a, a priest friend of ours that we were all stationed in Turkey together He had a degree in marriage counseling, and he told me that there are truly midlife crises, and that individuals going through this can make three decisions. They can look at their life and say, this is not what I expected, but my life is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. They can say, my life is not what I expected, but I don't want to lose it, so I'm going to do everything I can to save it. And then there's the third decision of my life is not what I expected. I don't want it. I'm leaving it behind and moving forward. And so when I returned home in mid-June, late June, that's where I found myself was in the devastation of that kind of third decision of Mm -hmm. absolutely done, over with, no hope. Um, I found myself, when I reflect back, it was then that I really descended into a very deep depression. Mm -hmm. Um, It manifested itself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I ended up in the hospital with severe pancreatitis, in the hmm. ICU, emergency surgery. I remember when they told me it was time to go home that I begged with them to let me stay a couple of more days because I did not want to go back to my home hmm. where I knew I would end up back in this
1: uh, dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, you were, obviously, for the first time, probably, you were totally alone in the room, Your chil- in the home. Your children had... Had had left home at this point? They My were son older. had
0: graduated a couple of years before that and was living on his own. My daughter had just graduated from high school, and uh, her way was to go and be with other people to escape uh, that emptiness
1: at home mm-hmm. and the change that had taken place. So when when your husband left, your daughter left also as a kind in of an a, escape. In a sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: she still actually was living at home. Their father at that time would uh, go to work on Monday out at the base, leave to go to Indianapolis to stay with this individual, come back home, uh, I'm sorry, come back on Monday to go to work. Friday, he would leave and spend the weekend Mm -hmm. there. So Mm -hmm. it's very, very empty. And by nature, I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. But at that time, to just go out into my backyard and work in the garden was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't doing that, I would go get in bed, pull the covers up, and just lose myself in sleep. Mm-hmm. My kids knew this change in me, so they often said, Mom, will stay with you, and I, they did at times, but I also felt guilt about that, mm-hmm. that my children were young adults now, and you were should pull, have their own you life. Were kind they should pulling be, them
1: into your yeah. misery and, and suffering. They shouldn't have to be taking mm-hmm. care of their mom this way. Mm-hmm. And and we sh- perhaps should have mentioned uh, your husband was in the military. He was in the military, so you were used to moving from place to place. Correct. Uh, yeah. And and I'm sure there were many times when he was gone. Yes. Uh, and so this was a very different kind of loneliness, though. This a was a very kind different of kind of loneliness. Mm-hmm. When I would plead with him to reconsider, he,
0: I got the sense that if he had any kind of relationship with me, it would be being unfaithful to this other woman.
1: Mm-hmm. He had already because,
0: bonded with this other so woman. So in September, he retired. In November, our divorce mm-hmm. was final. And in December, he married. Mm-hmm. So, so 1997 was...
1: Everything happens so Everything. suddenly. There was no way you, you, you really could adjust that quickly, in a sense, no. to all these changes. It reminds me, Debbie, I have another friend that a very similar thing happened to, uh, really on the occasion of their 25th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just was almost in shock, like you. And I remember uh, she found a book, this was a long time ago, I'm not sure that it's even available now, but it was called Uncoupling, that Mm. sometimes when a divorce occurs, one person totally uncouples from the marriage, from the relationship, and even couples with another person, begins to bond with that other person before the, the spouse really knows and understands what's happened. And so the shock is even greater than in many cases where you were at least aware of the unraveling uh and 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 uh, adjustments or what should i say reactions are mm-hmm. not as immediate a- and Correct. devastating as you experienced so so you had the the this um emotional devastation brought about not just emotional and you said physical consequences yes. you got sick you actually uh, became ill, uh, had to go to the hospital. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that experience because was it in that experience that God first sent you someone to try to provide you some hope? I'm trying to recall the details of the story. I was, uh, in the
0: ICU, uh, as I was, they were trying to stabilize before I could have surgery. And in the middle of the night, um, I recall, An individual coming in in a coat. I assumed it was a doctor. This was probably in the early morning. And I remember him walking over, washing his hands, and then coming to my right side of the bed. And he sat down next to me and he took his hand, my hand into his. And he asked me if I believed in Jesus. Hmm. And I said, yes. And he said, then trust in the Lord. The Lord is with you. And I remember a tear trickling down my eye, and he reached up very gently and rubbed the tear away. And I recall at that point that it had been since June of having any kind of tender touch. And it hit me later as i reflect back on this of mother teresa and how she would touch the people who were untouchable hmm. and i realize when somebody touches you like that it acknowledges that you exist that hmm. you are a human being that you are that there's you you exist mm-hmm. i can't explain it any other mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. when i asked the nurse the next morning who the doctor was and that i wanted to thank him she said there's no doctors on staff at that time and <laughs> There's no male nurses. I don't know what you're talking about. So,
1: God sent an angel, it sounds I like. Sent somebody. Yes. <laughs> yes. How beautiful. Yeah. And it, it explains when you said, you know, later it came to mind how Mother Teresa yeah. would touch the untouchables and the people that were lying in the streets. Um, yes. How that the, it explains the depth of that feeling of being alone uh abandoned insignificant worthless yes. am i explaining unloved. the feelings yes absolutely uh, unloved. Yeah. and and uh and and how i'm thinking how sad it is that when there are people there are i'm sure in our lives people we know who are going through this kind of suffering that we don't realize how important it is to touch those people to to give them a hug to express not just our sadness to them but also to um to reach out in in a physical way if we can uh some uh something that's not going to be threatening of course but but a, a touch to a dear friend or a family member who's going through such severe depression and sadness and loneliness uh not just from divorce but i'm certain other things yes i've read that about too about people who have cancer that many people just are afraid to touch them and that that they feel they feel shunned well i think a lot of it is
0: a misconception that
1: it's like touching it it may be contagious (laughs) yeah our own fear of being where that person is yeah yeah um so so even in that most severe time, God was sending people your way sending somehow people. to provide hope and healing. But but that didn't, that wasn't that one experience, of course, no. didn't bring you out of it, maybe brought you through that night in ICU. Yes. Maybe it brought you through the pancreatitis, yeah. but it didn't resolve
0: the issues. No, it didn't. I began to, I was going to a counselor and she asked me, she knew I was had these thoughts, and she said, uh, How are you doing with that? And I said, Well, I tell myself that if I don't do it today, it's an option for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And she said, That's not the best, but that's acceptable. She said, Do you have somebody that, you do know. You mean
1: a suicide? It yes. It's not for today, but it's yeah, an option it's, for tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's you were option. seeking a counselor as well. You were yes. going to a counselor. Yes. Okay. And
0: In doing that, uh, she said, do you have a point person that you can call if you're feeling like that? And I said, yes. And will you call her? Yes. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to. Why Mm -hmm. would I? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, because if you think I'm going to commit suicide, you're going to think I'm crazy and I'm not. Mm -hmm. I just... Don't I'm want very to live intentional, anymore. yes. I, but I'm not through crazy.
1: <laughs> well, our guest today, uh, this amazing story of hope and healing, our guest is Debbie Kneeport, a friend of mine, a colleague in, in Pregnancy Help. And uh, I recently learned of her powerful story of, of hope and healing after divorce, after abandonment. And um, so, Debbie, we're about halfway through our program. I tell you, your story is so amazing. We could delve into every little point, Uh, but God was sending you in the depths of your despair. God was sending people to you. You weren't totally honest about where you were. Like you said, the counselor is asking you uh, about suicide. She had no, she had no idea that you were actually making a plan. Correct. Yeah. So tell us about that plan that you actually made for suicide and what happened. Well,
0: I, my sense was that I was emotionally dead. I was spiritually dead the only thing living was the physical
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in order to get out of i almost to describe the depression the darkness the emptiness to put words on it is to limit it because this was unlimited it was infinite it was overwhelming and i had decided that the only way out of it was to end my life so i began to make a plan my counselor told me later it's called hyperfocusing and I knew I would. I had thought about getting a storage room and my car, and I thought, no, I don't want to do that. So I began to buy sleeping pills. I went to several stores so and bought one or two bottles, because I thought if I went to one store and bought 10 of them, they'd mm-hmm. be You'd suspicious. Be rich. So I made that plan. I had them collected. I, I got some alcohol, because I knew that would intensify it. The last thing I wanted was for it not to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went the day I had actually, and this is now in late August, uh, the day I had actually planned it, uh, I had told my children it was a Friday, and my daughter said, Mom, do you, uh, I have plans, but I'll be home here with you tonight if you need me. I said, No, go out, have fun. I said, I'll be in the room. I'm going to get some DVDs. Just I'll probably be asleep. Leave me alone. Told my son the same thing. During that day, I began to start separating some personal Momentum's of mine, deciding who would get what, wrote letters. You and started
1: with mass that day. I did didn't go you? to
0: daily mass out at the base and uh, sat in the very back. And I I prayed to God. You know, if this is not meant to happen, please give me a sign, do something. But I I just don't see any other way. When I came home, I read in the Catechism about suicide. To, to say, it said, you know, that it's a grave sin, it's an act of despair and abandoning, abandoning God. But then it said, but people who are in emotional situation cannot be held responsible. And I thought, that's my out. But if I knew it was my out, was it really my out? You're arguing with yourself. And then I thought, God will understand. He understands the pain that I'm in. And it, I got a call about three o'clock, and it was the deacon out at the base. And he said he saw me. He wanted to talk to me. He saw you at Mass that He saw me at Mass, and he wanted me to participate in the RCA program in September. And I said, I don't know where I'll be in September. And he said, what can I do for you right now? And I said, you can pray for me right now. So about a half hour later, I'm at the computer typing letters to my kids, trying to explain to them that this isn't their fault, that don't take responsibility. Please just try to understand and, as I'm typing these words, Peggy, I can't even explain it, but it was like a wind blew open the window, and total awareness came to me that I could not do this
1: hmm.
0: and From that moment on, God's miraculous
1: healing in my life began. Wow, so it was it was processing i, I I think of the rationalizations, the arguing with self that you were going through there at mass with the catechism, um, even that, but, but it was, as you were trying to explain this to your children, yes. and it doesn't even sound like a, a, a rational thing. Again, you're, you're not all of a sudden looking at the logic of it, but just a flash of light came to you. Absolutely. I. Yes. That, that was, that was light. Brings life and and hope, yeah. and all of a sudden you realize that, that you could not go through with this. Plan. I, I it and, was like I cannot do this. And was it simultaneously also a sense of peace that everything would heal? That somehow there was
0: hope. Abs- absolutely. I it was as if myself had come back into had come back to life. Right. That I could not do this. That I would get through this that my faith would take me tr- through this. I still have this little pink slip where a priest at one of the mass says, no matter what you go through, remember three things. You have your faith, trust in it, and persevere in it. Mm. And it will bring you through anything.
1: And let me just say to our audience, Debbie sitting here with her Bible <laughs> open and her little pink card that says faith, trust, perseverance. Yes. So God... It is amazing to me as you looked back and and as you have put the story together, all the different rays of hope that God was providing for you. The doctor who no one could explain his presence there in in the ICU, Uh, the call from the deacon just on the day that you were uh, planning this. And uh, he had simply seen you at mass, called to say, what can I do for you now? And then your children sensing, hmm. Yes. You know, should I offer to be home with mom? Um, God was, God was really showing you in so many ways mm. that he loved you yes. through the other people uh, in your life. So, so, tell us then how the healing actually came about uh, in, in total, because obviously you had a moment of healing right there. Yes. Yeah. But then God provided other opportunities for you. Yes, he did. I was, I
0: was very blessed at that time. I'm from uh, Dayton, so we're in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and uh, they had a group called Divorce, Separated Divorced and Widowed Catholics, and I knew I needed to get help. And so I contacted them, and I got into this group. The first thing was a social event, and I told myself, you have to do it. I drove there, went to it, left early because it was still difficult, but I did it. Mm, Good. I began attending their groups, which were groups of healing. It was meetings with healing, not trying to meet up, but healing and working through the grief uh, and all of the the things that somebody goes through when they experience a, a loss of a love relationship. And then I went through... a. The last, very last one they had of Divorce and Beyond, which was an eight-week course. And an interesting there, I was sitting there, and a lady came in, and we looked at each other. We knew each other. We were neighbors at Inderlik Air Base in Turkey. Hmm. And at first, we were like, oh, hi, hi. how?" And then it was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> You're here, and I'm here. Mm-hmm. And she had uh, obviously gone through divorce herself. And as that healing began, I was able to see that... You could still. There was life after this, uh, a different life, but a life that had hope and healing. And God gave me Psalm twenty-seven. I want to make sure to get this in mm-hmm. at the beginning. It was. It's David is singing about the herd and the devastation and the enemies in life, but in the in the end, at the beginning, I didn't focus on the last uh, verse thirteen, which I did after I came out of this was. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm. That's Psalm 27. Yes. And that is actually, I've taken that as my psalm. And, Wonderful. And uh, God, yeah. you know, God brought so much healing almost in the same radical way that the depression had happened.
1: Mm-hmm. And let me say to our listeners, uh, Debbie is is in the Diocese of Cincinnati, and that was years ago, over 20 years ago, wasn't 20 it, Debbie? years that ago. this healing took place? Yeah. And we do have resources also yes. in the Diocese of Columbus, I'm sure in all the dioceses. Uh, in the United States, there are resources for hope and healing yes. groups that Debbie mentioned, curricula now. Um, and so uh, for those who are listening, if you want to uh, research some of these resources in our Diocese of Columbus, columbuscatholic.org is the diocesan website, columbuscatholic.org. And if you look into the various offices that are available in our In our diocese, there is the Office of Marriage and Family, and in that section of the website, you'll find lots of programs for hope and healing in marriage. Um, There is a a group called Non-Solum here in Columbus, Not Alone, uh, that I believe is active in at least five parishes at this point. And people can come from, from uh, other parishes into those, into those hope and healing groups. Uh, there's a Retrovi weekend we have on the archives of, uh, Family Sanctuary, some, some sharing from Retrovi couples, a weekend for couples, some of whom have been through divorce already mm-hmm. and yet have come back together through Retrovi or they're facing really difficult issues in their marriage that could in that marriage, and yet they're able to find hope and healing through Retrovi. There's lots of resources now, which is wonderful. Um, so, Debbie, it's it's just powerful that you were able to find those. God provided them, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> at every level: the physical, the emotional, and psychological, and the spiritual level. Yes. And and to finish up the story, you eventually did marry again. Yes, you were I did. able to trust. Yes. Uh, and I believe your husband had been through also a divorce. Is that correct? Yes, he had been. Yeah. yeah. And, and you both went through the annulment process. Yes. And, uh, obviously found that there were obstacles, uh, to that marriage in the beginning that, uh, you were not aware of at that point. But, um, it, it's, it's beautiful that not only is God there with, with all of those resources, how he uses people in our lives to bring them to us. And then Debbie, you were vulnerable enough to say, I accept. Absolutely. I accept. So I know your story is just a, um, a, must be a tremendous inspiration to, to those, you know, and thank you for starting to share it even more publicly. Well, thank you. I I hope it, will speak to somebody out there absolutely and and i think it helps us understand those who are devastated and feeling alone from any other type of fear and abandonment and and loneliness as you know we've experienced so much in working with women uh in in pregnancy help yes so hopefully your message will be one of uh of hope for anyone suffering that deep depression and for those of us who are somehow sense that and god may be using us to reach out in in yes. in, in a healing touch or or uh, some kind of a gesture of love that will bring them god's hope and healing So thank you again, Debbie, for being with us and sharing. We truly appreciate it. And for our listeners, you are listening to St. Gabriel Catholic Radio with archives at stgabrielradio.com under the Family Sanctuary. We're also streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. And our program, The Family Sanctuary, is broadcast at 4 o'clock every Saturday and 2 o'clock on Sundays. So please join us again to strengthen our families and make them sanctuaries of life as God intends.
0: Family Sanctuary is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Family Sanctuary with Peggy Hartshorn are available at stgabrielradio.com.